July 16. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for our sins. Thank you for taking us, Lord God, and cleansing us with your blood. And we can say we are your righteousness, Lord, to the glory of God. Yes and amen. Yes and amen to all the promises of Moses and the prophets, Lord. And we're here with a changed heart, seeking your truth, <clears throat> seeking your love, your wisdom, and your power, Lord. That we may do life, Lord, to establish the covenant that you promised to our forefathers, Lord. And we thank you for that blessings, those benefits, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right now. All right. Let me, uh, let me read today's study in First Chronicles. It says, uh, Out of David's tragic mistake came the purchase of a plot of land that would become the site of God's temple. The symbol of God's presence among his people, every time the people would go to the temple, they would remember that God was their true king and that everyone was fallible and subject to sin, including their human king. God can use our sins for good purpose that will bring him glory when we confess our sins to God and turn from them. Repentance can become a great opportunity for God's glory. Jesus said, There is more joy in heaven every one over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God from than over 90 other 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Luke 15:7. Talk about glorifying God. If you are cherishing a sin in your life, consider how repentance might bring great glory to God. Consider how it could become a turning point for you, those around you, and those who come after you. David's repentance became an altar for remembering God's grace. Okay, reading First Chronicles 22, chapter 1 to 23, 32, says, <clears throat> Then David said, This will be the location for the temple of the Lord God and the place of the altar for Israel's burnt offerings. So David gave orders to call together the foreigners living in Israel, and he assigned them the task of preparing f finished stones for the building the temple of God. David provided large amounts of iron for the nails that would be needed for the doors and the gates and for the clamps, and he gave more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided innumerable cedar logs for the, for the men of Tyre and Sidon had brought vast amounts of cedar to David. David said, My son Solomon is still young and inexperienced, and since the temple to be built for the Lord must be magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world. I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. Then David sent for his son Solomon and instructed him to build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. My son, I want to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. David told him, but the Lord said to me, You have killed many men in the battles you have fought, 
And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be the man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies and in all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will secure the throne of the king, dumb over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and regulations of the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or lose heart. I have worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord. Nearly 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, and so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. I have also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need to add more. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons and carpenters and craftsmen of every kind. You have experts, goldsmiths and silversmiths, and workers of bronze and iron. Now begin the work, and may the Lord be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to assist Solomon in this project. The Lord your God is with you, he declared. He has given you peace with the surrounding nations. He has handed them over to, you, to me, and they are now subjects to the Lord and his people. Now seek the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Build a sanctuary of the Lord God so that you can bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy vessel of God into the temple built to honor the Lord's name. When David was an old man, he appointed his son Solomon to be king over Israel. David summoned all the leaders of Israel together with the priests and Levites and all the Levites who were 30 years older were counted, and the total came to 38,000. Then David said, from all, from all the Levites, 24,000 will supervise the work at the temple of the Lord. Another 6,000 will serve as officials and judges. Another 4,000 will work as gatekeepers, and 4,000 will praise the Lord with the music instruments I have made. Then David divided the Levites into divisions, named after the clans descendants from the three sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohat, and Merari. The Gershonite family units were defined by their lines of descent from Libni and Shimeri. The sons of Gershon, three of the descendants of Libni were Jehiel, the family leaders of Setham, and Joel. These were the leaders of the families of Libni. Three of the descendants of Shimei were Shelomah, Hasiel, and Haran. Four other descendants of Shimei were Jahath, Ziza, Jeush, and Beriah. Jahath was the family leader, and Ziza was next. Jeush and Beriah were counted as a single family because neither had many sons. Four of the descendants of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, 
Hebron, and Uziel. The sons of Amram were Aaron and Moses. Aaron and his descendants were set apart to dedicate the most holy things, to offer sacrifices to the Lord's presence, to serve the Lord, and to pronounce blessings in his name forever. As for Moses, the man of God, his sons were included with the tribe of Levi. The sons of Moses were Gershom and Eliezer. The descendants of Gershom included Shebuel, the family leader. Eliezer had only one son. Rehabiah, the family leader. Rehabiah had numerous descendants. The descendants of Ishar included Shalomit, the family leader. The descendants of Hebron included Jeriah, the family leader, Amariah, the second, Jahaziel, the third, and Jechamiam, the fourth. The descendants of Uziel included Micah, the family leader, and Ishiash, the second. The descendants of Merari included Mahli and Mushi. The sons of Mahili were Eleazar and Kish. Eleazar died with no sons, only daughters. His daughters married their cousins, the sons of Kish. Three of the descendants of Mushi were Mahli, Eder, and Jeremiah. These were the descendants of Levi by clans. The leaders of the family groups registered carefully by name. Each had to be 20 years or older to qualify for service in the house of the Lord. For David said, the Lord, the God of Israel, has given us peace, and he will always live in Jerusalem. Now the Levites will no longer need to carry the tabernacle and its furnishings from place to place. In accordance with David's final instructions, all the Levites, 20 years or older, were registered for service. The work of the Levites was to assist the priests, the descendants of Aaron, as they served at the house of the Lord. They also took care of the courtyards and side rooms, helped perform the ceremonies of purification, and served in many other ways in the house of God. They were in charge of the sacred bread that was set out on the table, the choice flour for the grain offering, the wafer made without yeast, the cakes cooked in olive oil, and the other mixed breads. They were also responsible for check of all the weights and measures. And each morning and evening they stood before the Lord to sing songs of thanks and praise to Him. They assisted with the burnt offerings that were presented to the Lord on Sabbath days, at new moons, celebrations, and at the appointed festivals. The required number of Levites served the Lord's presence at all times, following all the procedures they had been given. And so, under the supervision of the priests, the Levites watched over the tabernacle and the temple and faithfully carried out their duties of service at the house of the Lord. Amen. Wow. What an amazing... The things that run through my mind after uh -huh. reading this is how Israel, you know, how they concentrated on... I like the what it says. They started They praise and worship the Lord. Mm -hmm. Gave thanks and praise in the morning and in the afternoon. Amen. You know, they zero in at the loving kindness and the mercy of God that they knew that God was their existence. That God was their sustaining, and and uh, the, just the magnitude of the temple of the. I didn't know that uh, that threshing floor was uh, was the place for the uh, for the temple, you know, the land that David bought for six hundred 
Mm. Remember he bought it from that, of gold from that guy that he he didn't from the farmer. Right. And that became you know and that what that's where the angel stopped hurting uh, where the Lord stopped the angel from uh, killing more plague. people. Right. Stopped the plague. Oh, what'd you get? It's just amazing the amount of resources available to, to do this, you know. Uh, when God is in it, then you have everything that you need. Um, it just, it's huge. Yeah, you know, 38,000 and everyone had assignments, right? Yeah, it was just amazing how much people took to, I like it when they had 4,000 of them are going to sing instruments and praise uh -huh. the Lord. And uh, some other ones were going to praise Him with thanksgiving yeah. and praise day and night. Well, you know, one thing that um, is, I was just thinking how awesome God is because before you came home, I was listening to a sermon by Pastor Marty. And she was discussing exactly this, this, this about um, how David was not going to build a temple because he had shed too much blood in war. Too much war, you know, too much blood. And that his son Solomon, uh, he was going to have the peace and, and quiet during his reign. Because uh, it says here, and since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son... Be, who will be a man of peace, okay? And I will give him peace with his enemies in all the surrounding lands. So she was just talking about how God wanted to, you know, right now he's releasing the peace over the body of Christ because he desires for us to have peace in the midst of problems, in the midst of uh, circumstances, and that his house, his church, will be a house of peace. So it's just kind of amazing how I heard that, these scriptures, and I'm re God is reinforcing. That's what He's doing. So He's so good. Amen. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success yes. as you follow yes. His directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. It was the directions of the Lord. Yeah. The specifications that He gave them. Yeah. That is outstanding. That's awesome. Uh -huh. Amen. Would you please read the next one? Sure. Okay, we're at Romans uh, 3, 9 to 31, but I'll go ahead and read the study. You want me to read the study first? Uh, okay, there's one most asked question. What is God's plan of salvation uh, on the preceding page? That one, you have it? Mm-hmm. Would you like um, But that doesn't go to what I'm reading. Okay. Oh, okay, I will. It's good stuff. Okay, God always planned to save the world through Jesus and the entire Old Testament was a preparation for Jesus' arrival in salvation history. In Romans 1-2, Paul claims that God promised the good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The continuity, uh, or yeah, the continuity, or the continuity, the continuity of God's unfolding plan of salvation is a central theme in Romans. In Romans 3-21, Paul makes his important points about the new way of being made right with God that Jesus set in motion. First, it does not depend on obeying the laws and regulations of the Old Testament. Second, 
it was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets. Paul keeps returning to this theme continually in Romans. Continually. In Romans... 9-11. In Romans 9-11. He explains how God... God's dealings with Israel fit into that single unfolding plan leading to Jesus. At the same time, that plan unfolds in stages. Now that the final stage has arrived in Christ, the, the prior stage when the law of Moses ruled over God's people has been left behind. Paul repeatedly emphasized that the new relationship with God stands separate from the law of Moses. Now we can see serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Romans 7, 6. Paul's recurring focus in Romans on the nature of God's plan helps us to put the whole story of the Bible together in a way that honors both of its parts. Amen. Amen. Um, okay, so... Okay, Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 9 to 31. Well then, we conclude that we Jews are better than others. No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. Not, no one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies, and snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how simple we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We, have, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty for our sins, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not 
punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in the sight when, he, when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. We are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course. Of course he is. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith. Whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Amen. Hallelujah. Great. Um, wow, it really was pretty clear here. You know, that... Um, like the way when the law says... It simply says, you know, points out that how sinful we are. And then the other part that's interesting is that it says God is just and fair, and then he, he looked to the future for the other people for that final sacrifice, yeah. you know, for salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you say he's just and fair, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So, you know, one of the things I always remember from Pastor Prince is God is righteous in making the sinner righteous. So, because he sees our righteousness through Jesus, because we believe by faith, then he's not looking at anything that happened in the past he's not looking at any past sins he's not judging us by a mistake that we made because he's looking at everything through Jesus so in other words he wouldn't be righteous by by imputing sin to us because he's a just and fair God he already put it all on Jesus he's not going to put it all on you Amen. so that was that was something that stood out as I was reading that um but it, it just this is kind of like a real good um, if you don't believe that you're saved by faith and you think you have to obey these rules and regulations this particular chapter is really good to try to convince you that you're not saved by obeying the law you're only saved by by the faith in Jesus and believing he died for your sins with the shedding of his blood it just kind of reiterated over and over that that point and it drove it home um, yeah, so the, the law only showed us, like you said, how simple we are. It could only bring us to the end of ourselves. Um, yeah, so then, I like what it says, Yet God, with 
Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ, through, through Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. And then, and it, and it was very clear here. I like exactly, because you know, if people say, well, if you're saved by grace, you know, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, if you're saved by that, you know, does that give people a license to sin? I know we're going to get into the next chapters, chapter 5, where it addresses that, chapter 6. But, um, you know, it, it, it's clear here that says, uh, well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So in other words, when I believe by faith and I'm, I'm trusting Jesus, His shed blood, saved me completely from all my transgressions, all my inequities, all my shortfalls, my shortcomings, um, then... Amen. Then right here, you know, it's like that's when I don't want to do anything wrong. I, you know, that doesn't mean I'm not going to make a mistake. I'm, I'm, I'm human. I'm not perfect, but, but it does mean that, you know, I don't want to go out there and, and, you know, cheat somebody. I want to do the right thing. It makes me want to obey the Lord. It makes me want to do the right things for the Lord. You know, and show His goodness and His grace. Amen. So that was a real a real good one because they always get pastors that are teaching about the grace of God or you're giving them a license to sin. You know? Yeah, I like that part where at the end where you said uh, only by faith does fulfill the law. Yeah. You know, only by faith you finish up what the intended purpose of the law, faith, believing in Christ. Jesus. Every, everything comes together as one completely. And that was Paul's task mm -hmm. of telling the Romans and everybody in synagogue, thing after synagogue, you know, and uh, and that's why he convinced so many Jewish people too, you know, and Gentiles very easily. And besides that, the signs and wonders and miracles that he was performing, that God was truly with him in signs and wonders. Yeah, and another thing, it's like I know that James used to always say this that if you read the book of Romans, There's that's what you need to know, right? Yeah, the entire... Yeah, entire book of it, Romans. And we see it. Yeah. And, and I'm looking at that, and I'm saying, you know, if I'm a person of who, who's, who thinks that I have to meet all these requirements, you know, whether it's, you know, going to uh, worship on the Sabbath or not, or, you know, um, not honoring my parents, or whatever, whatever that commandment was, um, if, if I'm a person that that's what I'm holding on to, like I, I got to go save myself by knocking on doors and convincing people to believe in God. If, if I'm to read this chapter and to really meditate on it, this is not like you don't have to go and study this. You don't have to go and get a concordance to get this clarity. This is like very clear. You know, what, what are, how you're saved. You know, undeserved kindness by God. And it's through Jesus by faith that this is done. So um, this is this is this is really I I open it right now for me as I was reading it. It just popped out at me like, yeah, this is it, guys. We can do this thing, you know. Man, beautifully. Okay. Ooh, that just guy got all lit up with that. Amen. Okay. Praise God. Okay, um, Psalm verse twelve or Psalm twelve one to eight. And I'm getting excited as I'm reading the word. Like I want to do another chapter after this. 
Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. May the Lord cut off their flattering lips and silence their boastful tongues. And silence their boastful tongues. They say we will lie to our heart's content. Our lips are on our own. Who can stop us? The Lord replies, I have seen violence done to the helpless. And I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will raise up to rescue them, as they have longed for me to do. The Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace. Purified seven times over. Wow, this is the one you always talk about, babe. Okay. Therefore, Lord, we know you will protect the oppressed, preserving them forever from this lying generation, even though the wicked strut about and evil is praised throughout the land. And Proverbs 19, 13-14 says, A foolish child is a calamity to a father. A quarrelsome wife is annoying as a constant dripping. Fathers can give their sons an inheritance of houses and wealth, but only the Lord can give an understanding wife. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Well put. Huh? Fathers yeah. can give the, their sons an inheritance of houses yeah. and wealth, but only, but only the Lord can give an understanding wife. Amen. Isn't that awesome, babe? Nice translation. Yeah. Amen. So be it. Yeah, but I really like where he said the Lord's promises are pure. Like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. This is one that I always hear you preaching on to people. Amen. Those are the promises. Amen. Pure promises come true. They have come true for us. Amen. Amen.